Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. In this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, Guy and Gary are going to be discussing senior management teams, and this follows on from last week's episode on unique ability and unique ability teams, and I'm going to hand you over to Guy Remon now, who's going to kickstart this episode. Great. Thank you, Georgia. Hello, everyone. Last week's podcast was uh, led by Gary and focused on unique ability teams. So, you know, again, just to recap, to put the context around this podcast, a unique ability is everybody has some kind of unique ability and, you know, sometimes multiple unique abilities, but they tend to be in the same type of areas. What we tend to find is that people are happiest and the most effective when they're working within their unique ability. The problem that most people have is that they, they're not always certain about what their unique ability is. And, and some people kind of know it instinctively or certainly know some of it instinctively. You know, what Gary talked about in the last podcast, which the process is really easy. It doesn't take that long for the kind of value you get out of it. It's an investment in time. You, you have something that kind of explains what you're uniquely talented at doing. Uh, and I'm going to just read your mind out very quickly, uh, again, just to put some uh, context around the next part of this discussion. Gary Riemann's unique ability is understanding people, empowering uniquely talented teams, doing things differently and taking a fuck it, just do it attitude uh, with an ethos of transparency, honesty and hard work in order to positively impact the quality of life for a significant number of people. So that is is kind of my unique ability. And, and it was a real eye-opener. You know, when I did that on Strategic Coach some 14, 15 years ago, it really helped me understand what I should be doing and what I should be focusing at. And once you understand what you're good at, as you're building a business as an entrepreneur, you can then build your team around you. And, and to begin with, right, it's, it's just usually you or maybe you and your business partner or there's two or three of you maximum normally when you're starting your business. And you're kind of a jack of all trades and some stuff you really love doing and some stuff you absolutely hate doing. And and generally, the stuff you love doing is in your unique ability uh, as a a general rule. One of the things you should be doing is as you're employing people, when you're thinking about who you want to employ and what they're they're going to do, they really should be starting to pick up some of the tasks in the organisation that you're not good at and you really would like somebody else to do. So you're looking for somebody with that unique ability. So it actually pays for you to either try instinctively to understand uh, the person that you're doing the interview with, what their unique ability is likely to be, ask some probing questions around that area, or uh, actually ask them if they will do uh, the unique ability because it'd be great for them in whatever they decide to in the future anyway. And if you do end up employing them, brilliant. If not, they can use that moving forward. But it's a bit of an investment in time. So people, not everybody will necessarily do that. So you might have to take a gut feel on it. But ultimately, what you should be doing is is building every person you take on, it's doing a job that you really don't want to be doing. And you build your team up until, uh, as Gary said on the last podcast, the roles he does now are are roughly 95, 98% in his unique ability because he, he purposely does that. And he works with people who supplement his unique ability and do the stuff that he doesn't want to do. You know, you can do that with employees, which is the obvious one. But actually, you can also do it with contractors and you can also do it with suppliers. And I think, you you know, you have to think of it in that way. You, you're not going to necessarily solve all your problems with, with, with employees. There's going to be 
certain situations when suppliers are better positioned to do it. You know, I could, um, I'm going to give you an example in a minute of, of some of those things in, in, in my, one of my previous companies. You know, contractors, again, you know, contractors aren't always a, a long-term solution. They can be, but they're not always a long-term solution for, uh, to, to help you, but at least they can fill a gap until you're able to employ somebody in that position. I've talked about this many times before. My previous company was a company called uh, Cake Solutions. We were a software development company. And, you know, obviously there was myself and a business partner, a chap called Rob Harrop, set it up back in 2001. Kind of fast forwarding what we ended up by doing, Rob left the company uh, at a particular point, And so it was, it was with me because we were a software development company and I didn't have any software experience. My technical team were, were absolutely paramount. So that was my first focus, you know, the people that we brought in to run the, the, the to, to, to fill the key positions around the company were all highly skilled technical people with different types of skills some of them were were very skilled technically and would lead from a technical viewpoint some of them were skilled technically but also had the leadership ability so therefore they led the some of the technical teams not just the technical strategy for the company and then you know you bring in people as well you know um so once i got that sorted i was happy with that i had to bring people in to support me in my commercial role so, you know, I brought in what I call an 80% guy. So somebody who who, who really good at what they did and, and did a, were really good at, at some of the stuff that I did. And they would take that off me, some of the stuff that I just didn't want to do. They were particularly good at proposals. They love working with spreadsheets. And I also brought some suppliers in. So we brought an accounting firm in who, in the end, the accountant moved from an accounting role and, and moved into more of an FD position, albeit a third-party FD and, you know, they were particularly talented at that. And they, you know, I, I really didn't want to get involved in the figures other than having a really good understanding about the financial situation of the company. So I was presented with management accounts. I didn't want to get, I didn't want to put those management accounts together. I just wanted to see them and understand them and make decisions on the back of them. Marketing, you know, marketing wasn't a particular skill of mine at that particular point, traditional marketing. So we brought a company in to do look at that for us. So they took that off me uh, as well, and, and that was great. So, you know, we, we we built a really strong team, and everybody, where possible, I was allowing people to work, and I employed them to work within their unique ability, and that's 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 how we built the senior management team. It was a a unique ability team, unique ability senior management team. Yeah, so I guess that's kind of my example. Gary, I know you've you've got probably a few examples and comments to make. Why don't you dive in? Yeah, well, you've clearly built a brilliant team. It's one of your key strengths of building a, a unique ability team, which is great. I just drill it down. One of the things I found on the journey of going from not much to, to quite a bit bigger on an entrepreneurial journey was the sort of people you're talking about who take the operational role of sales and marketing. You know, lots of people I speak to, entrepreneurs, they go, I can't find the right person. I can't find the right executive. They're always moaning about that. And I, I want to share at some stage a process that I've gone through for recruiting those right people. But often you can find people with a demonstrable skill. The bits that missing are, do they fit with your culture? That's a really important point that most people miss. We used to call it the beer test. You know, would you go out for a beer with them, male or female? But, you know, that was a really, you know, at the time we were a high-performing company and we did like a drink and we celebrated together. So that was important to us. So if you didn't drink, 
awful weird but you didn't really fit in so culturally there's and there's lots of different fitting in drinking sounds awful but uh, that's that's the way it was but there's other cultures that you know they do need to fit with a culture my other key insight of employing executives is if you're in an entrepreneurial company a great executive is often accountable and responsible and you talked a bit about that guy you know you give people responsibility and accountability well They've got to be comfortable with taking it. And my experience is a lot of corporate people aren't, and more entrepreneurial people are very comfortable with accountability and responsibility. And that is absolutely key because you are relying on them to deliver a certain part of the business. And if they're comfortable, they'll take it and run with it. And often they're not. They'll find excuses and somebody else is at fault, the weather or something else. They just don't own it. And I think that's a... That's a real insight for me. I think if I, if I build on that, there's two other areas that I'd like to share because I think they're really valuable and, and they're repeatable. So in just about every company I go to, these are repeatable things that I find, is that the person who gets you from A to B can't necessarily get you to C and D. And having grown a company from not much to quite big on a couple of occasions, you know that can be you're going from a loss-making or you're making no money to a million EBITDA, then to five and then to ten. At 10, you're a pretty big company, right? 500 employees, and you know, you're a very different company. And if I give an example of my main business, I probably out of six executives, two made it all the way through. And why? It's because they had a flexible mind and attitude to change and to learn along the way. The others were quite fixed and rigid, and they wouldn't describe themselves as fixed and rigid, but they were because they couldn't change in the changing company and the growing company. If you want a high-performing team, you've built your company, your entrepreneurial company, and you want a high-performing business, as a leader, as the entrepreneur, you cannot tolerate mediocrity or average or okay because it's just not good enough. And your other executives will start looking over their shoulders. And so if you've got a high-performing team and somebody's not, it's your responsibility to manage them out. And if it becomes black and white, you've got to do that quite quickly because it's like a cancer. You've got these high-performing, it's been like a soccer team. You've got this high-performing Premier League team and they're looking around going, God, he's rubbish. He's just not up to it. And I'm not doing all this work just for him to bloody mess it up. So you've got to actually, they know they're carrying somebody. They know they're underperforming and it's damaging value. So you have to manage it quickly. Now, just a little watchword there as a leader. Just make sure you manage it, manage them out fairly. And by fairly, I mean financially, you don't cause them problems. You allow them to save face and you do it in the right way because that's really important. But we used to have a, a saying of Gary's taken them on another car park walk because that's where I used to share the, the, the difficult uh, information. But, you know, I, I'm still friends with a lot of the people I have released and it's not always their fault. The, the company's moved on quickly. And they just underperform for various reasons. So, but it's really important if you're going to drive forward and fast growth, you cannot tolerate mediocrity. One of the key factors of success, I'd say. Gary, can I just ask a question there? It's a really good point about the, the mediocrity. Is there ever a situation in your experience where in a company that's growing fast, is it always where when an individual becomes mismatched somehow to the overall organization that mediocrity is the culprit? Could there be a situation where 
they are striving in their own unique ability, for example, but it's just not right? Or, or is it? Yes, yeah, so I, I, yeah. I think that's yeah. a really good question, Georgie, because I'll give you an example. We went direct to the customer. And so when we started, we were a brochure that used to be direct mail. And as we got into the operation, this is why I say, you know, every five years, that companies need to change quickly, is that we quickly moved into a no brochure and all online. And the sales and marketing person didn't have the skills online. So they were in their unique ability and the company changed quite dramatically. And this person was a very proud, brilliant uh, person that had a huge career before joining us. And so that hard conversation was really hard for them to take and really hard for me to give. But as I said, you know, financially, I didn't, I made sure it was time. He, it was a he, uh, wasn't in any difficulty, managed him out of the business carefully and agreed to that I would recruit somebody else because they take time to recruit, as you know, six months. So if I could get on with that with his knowledge. So, yeah, things can change. It's not always the individual. And actually, if you get the, get a recruitment and it doesn't work out, I would say it's 75% my responsibility and 25% the employee because I've recruited them. You have to have that attitude. Can I just share? Because I think it's worth it just to share with some entrepreneurs a process. I've often been asked this, you know, well, how do I go about recruiting somebody? So... At the juncture, uh, one of my key businesses, I wanted a sales and marketing person to be responsible for a 10 million turnover. It's normally unusual to get somebody who does sales and marketing. Actually, they're very separate roles. But at the stage we were at, I wanted someone to straddle both. And I knew we were going to grow. And actually, they, they ended up being responsible for 50 million turnover, but very comfortable with hindsight. That was It was a good appointment. So how did we go about it? This was critical to me because I knew... If I didn't get the right person, we'd fail. And it was a digital, someone who understood digital. So anyway, we appointed the right headhunter. Uh, we did probably interviewed about five headhunters. And I put together a person specification and a job specification. Now, that isn't detailed. That's bullet point. What do I want them to be responsible for? What do I want them to do? And what do they look and feel like? And what culture are they going to fit in? That was it, really. So then I met, CEO met was about eight to nine candidates, can't remember now, but we had a coffee and a chat in a hotel, narrowed it down to about three or four candidates. But three or four candidates, I then put a panel together to interview them, which made sure it wasn't just my decision because you can have biases. And I did have a bias because I'd be more biased to the entrepreneur than the safer bet. Anyway, the, the panel was the investor in the company, external HR, because we never had HR in the company, an executive coach, Myself, FD, and a couple of other executives, about eight of us, quite intimidating for the candidates. And we took a venue and narrowed it down to three or four. And all those three or four did unique ability tests. So they did the Strengths Finder, they did the Colby, so we understood what they were up to. And then they had to do a presentation to that panel on a subject that was absolutely focused on what we wanted them to do. So really zooming in on their skills as well as all the other usual questions and then we selected the right candidates and there was a bit of debate and then this is the interesting bit that I never knew existed till someone shared with me we then took forensic referencing on this person and forensic referencing my question was what the hell's that well I can tell you it's about five grand that's the cost of it it's about a hundred page report and they talk physically to every single person who the candidate did not put on their reference list so if they put three people, key people, you know they know them and they're good because otherwise they wouldn't put them down. They spoke to the direct reports of people who worked with them, people they reported to, 
their friends, colleagues, oh my God, you will not believe this detailed report of 100 pages. And I've done it two or three times since, actually, we were recruiting CEOs. Brilliant. And if I do a shout out, it's Carol House at Corn Ferry, quite a well-known company. But oh my God, that made a huge difference. Because not only do you get any issues, and if there were issues, uh, you've got to address them. It also gives you insight on how to manage that person going forward, which is also key. So there's a there's a, a few steps there, but you've really got to think about it and get it right to get the right candidate, even by following those steps and doing everything, you can still get it wrong. Yeah, that's really interesting. And Guy, because, I mean, you've also built, uh, built quite large teams in the past as well, haven't you? What are your thoughts on Gary's points about recruitment, though, and using unique ability? Yeah, everything Gary said is is, is absolutely valid. I, I, I actually took a slightly different route and I'm going to try and do this fairly succinctly. It's almost a podcast in itself, to be honest, recruitment. But let me just very quickly talk about the way that we, we did recruitment. We never hired a recruiter. The, the way we did it was that, you know, I've talked to the past in, in a marketing context and mentioned recruitment about building personal brands. And by doing, by encouraging your team, having a culture of the team, building a personal brand, their expertise is 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 out there. And, you know, you, as, a, as a company, you, you, you produce lots and lots of expert content over the months and over the years. And what that does is it generates sales. And we've talked about that value of that before. But it also generates interest in the company from a recruitment point of view. So actually, what we ended up having on the whole had inbound calls for people wanting to work for the company because we worked in a particular niche of technology. There wasn't that many companies doing it at that particular point. Um, so the choice for if someone wanted to move into that area um, was, was limited because we came across really well because you know all our teams spoke passionately and expertly about the, the, the work that they did. Basically, we then had inbound calls. And what we ended up doing in the end as we grew, we ended up hiring a, an internal recruiter. You know, their, their job was to filter the uh, applications that we had and speak to the people and, and explain to the, the candidates what we were about. Because what that did on the whole was re- got them really excited about the company. We, we, we didn't try and sell ourselves, but we explained the culture and the ethos of the company and what we're about and what we expected from people. And that actually got candidates even more excited. So by the time they went through the, the interviews, they, you know, because we were a technical company, a software engineering company, we, we put them through quite rigorous software engineering challenges. And that enabled us to decide whether they were technically capable. The fact that they approached us on the back of our expert content and the fact that we'd explained about the culture and what we wanted from people and the ethos of the company and they were still interested, meant that they were probably going to be the right type of person to fit in the company. And as a final backup to that, the final part of the interview was a, a kind of a woolly, fluffy chat, what I call a woolly, fluffy chat with Peter I. And we kind of just talked about stuff. And there was no set plan for that. It was wherever the conversation went. But from that, you know, you, you perhaps talked about hobbies. You talked about, you know, where they went on the holiday and, and started to ask other questions like, why why cake? How did you hear about us? Uh, what made you apply, you know, apply for us? And you got a good feeling. And I think those kind of three things, the fact that they applied to us because of our reputation and what we're about, the fact that we'd done a technical interview and they got through that, so they clearly made, you know, and, and we, we had quite high technical expectations, and then we had the woolly fluffy chat. Will he fit into our culture? You know, could do, do I see the team getting on with you know this person? And if they passed all those, then 
at that point, we offer the job. And at that point, we'd never talked about money. Money wasn't even an issue then at that point. Money came into it right at the end of the conversation. I think that's really good because actually you're you're not spending a lot of cash there, are you? They're coming to you. Yeah, <laughs> creatures. Yeah, that's brilliant. Just to build on that last statement about the woolly conversation, which I quite like, which is actually the beer test. But many yes. companies will will take take their candidates into a social environment with the top team in the evening. I think that's a good thing too. Yeah, I do. I do because you you do get a feel for that for that person. And, you know, particularly, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, the, uh, the the podcast we're doing is about the senior management team. And, you know, it, it's a really important hire and it's an expensive mistake in, in all sorts of ways. Um, so you want to try and get it right. So I agree. You, you try and deploy all the, the tactics to make sure that you get it right, because if you get it right, it's good for you. It's good for the person. If you get it wrong, it costs you money, costs you time, probably other things, and it's it's not good for the person either. So I've had a situation where two people didn't get on at all in the senior team, and actually going through the unique ability and highlighting all their individual traits actually made um, light of it because they go, "That's why we don't get on," because they're very opposite. But once you once they knew that and it was highlighted, they could make fun of it. Actually, they got on after a while. Yeah, they kind of understood each other. That's half the yeah. problem, isn't it? You don't understand yeah. somebody, and that you kind of, you know, you're butting heads, and yes, you don't know why you can't. And if you solve that problem for them, then that might help solve the issue. Thank you both. Yeah, that was brilliant. I'm going to put you both on the spot. Can uh, can we all look forward to a future episode on recruitment? Do you think at some point? I think so. Um, I, yeah. That's what came into my head when Gary was talking. I thought, well. You know, we, Gary could go into way more detail than he has done on that, and I could go into a little bit more detail about, you know, the the expert content way of of, of generating interest in your company, and I, I'm happy to uh, to talk about that. So definitely a future podcast, and I think I can also talk about the potential podcast for uh, next week. Uh, we're going to have our first guest, Gary. Ah, yes, and and it's something we want to do on a regular basis because I think. You know, everyone's list. This is probably what six or seven podcasts now. Uh, may, maybe people are sick of us and and want to listen to somebody else. So we're going to bring in uh, a, a few guests uh, over the over the coming weeks. And our first one is actually Elliot Smith, the financial director for uh, EHE, and he's going to talk about not just an accountant is the title of the podcast. So he'll enlighten you as to what that means uh, next week. Looking Brilliant. forward to it already. Thank you both very much. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capital website, ehe.capital, for further insights and to join the EHE community.